Radiothon is over, but it's not too late to support 3CR and your beloved queer show, Queering the Air. Come down to our fundraiser at Hairs and Hyenas on the 30th of July. Doors open at 7.30pm. Check out the Queering the Air Facebook page to find the event and buy tickets. The night will be Auslan interpreted and will feature live music and poetry by local artists. Who's playing? ASL. Mina. Astrid. And Slumber Kitty. Don't forget the poets. Amy Witchway. Dawn. Yao. Zanya. Brave the winter cold and come down for a dreamy night with the Queering the Air crew. Hello listeners, good afternoon, welcome to Queering the Air. You're in the studio with um, me, Max, and my co-host Amy. Hey Amy. Hello. And we're it's also... great to have you back, Max. Yeah. been missing you the last couple of shows. Yeah, I've been missing being here. And also um, Natasha in the studio today with us as well. Hi Natasha. Hello, how are you going? Yeah, good, how are you going? Oh, pretty good, you know, it's cold but I'm here. You're rugged <laughs> yes. up for it, it's like... I think yeah. you're, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> it is it is cold though, isn't it? Yeah, su- sunny, or at least it was before I came in the studio. God mm. knows what it's doing now. But all right, so um, we'd like to start the show by acknowledging that at 3CR we work and upload our show from lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This is stolen land over which sovereignty was never ceded, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. So we have a great lineup for you today. So first we have Natasha. Um, we're going to talk to her about her show Order by a Queen. Um, then we'll be hearing an interview that Amy did with Sheridan and Fiona about feminism and childbirth. But before we go any further, we want to tell you all about our amazing Radiothon fundraiser coming up next Saturday. So uh, we just played a card about it, but we're going to tell you more about it because we're so excited. So if you've just tuned in, we're having a fundraiser next Saturday, the 30th. Um, the confirmed amazing artists so far are ASL, Nina, Astrid And, and we've got some great poets as well. We have Dawn, JL, and our very own Zenna. So this is a sliding scale. No one turned away for lack of funds. Between uh, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars is sort of the set sliding scale. Or you can pay more if you like. Oh, good point, <laughs> always, Amy. You know, fundraising. Yep. Yeah, if you're feeling uh, like your pockets Generous. go deep. We're also going to have, uh, which I think is not listed on the Facebook page yet, but we're having a um, what are those things where you give out little tickets and a pick, raffle? Raffing. Yeah, we're having a raffle. <laughs> Why? Okay, this is the second time I've done that. What are the things? The little tickets? Terrible. Anyway, raffle. Having a raffle. Um, we're going to be giving away. Well, yeah, giving away a uh, rubber bag. Uh, it's a recycled um, bag. Oh, awesome! Uh, you know, handmade kind of. DIY kind of thing. Uh, what else have we got? We've got uh, books and maybe some sex toys. Oh. We're uh, confirming things at the moment still, but uh, that will be happening. So bring your cash. Yeah, bring your cash. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any cash because you're a student or on Centrelink, come anyway. Come anyway, because <laughs> that's what lots of us will be doing. Um, yeah, so it's all happening. Before we go to our interview, we're going to start with the track. Um, this is a uh, Boston duo called Shago, and um, we are playing their track, Tell Willie. Yeah, 
heterosexuality. That is um, Heterosexuality, It's No Good For Me by Don Luckwell. I'm a standby of ours when uh, Max gets the panelling wrong. Um, so up next we have an interview with Natasha Janelle. Um, we're going to hear all about your incredible show that's coming up. Ooh, I know, it's excited. coming up soon. Was it Sunday, Monday? Two, two, two days. It opens <gasps> in two days. Oh, my two God. Slates. Yeah. Woo. So tell us a little bit about your show. Okay. Um, I'll try and be succinct. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me. Um, okay, so the show is called Autobio Queen, and I have had a few people asking me why is it called Autobio Queen. Um, it's a couple of things. The first part is autobio. Um, so I do a lot of work in autobiographical writing and um, autogra- autobiographical storytelling in general. So that's a bit he- that plays really heavily in the show. And also when I do autobiographical work sometimes it's through dreams or sometimes it's through scattered memories and trying to reconfigure things that have happened um even if they're not necessarily from the perspective of the the most kind of uh, present perspective figuring it out now about how I feel smell touch all of those things and how they play together so that's the autobiographical part of it the other part is bio queen So I do, a lot of the performance art that I do is uh, in one way or another incorporating gender performance and uh, queer identities. So technically, I would call myself a bio queen, uh, which, you know, the technical terminology is kind of a biological or cisgendered woman who does uh, female drag. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you can make the interpretation whatever you like, you know, whatever fits for you. Uh, For me, it... It's kind of like that, but it's 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 more so uh, to do with the fact that in my day to day life I'm much more gender neutral, and but my performance uh, side is much more interested in expanding and recreating what woman is and what female is and what femininity is and how that can include power, dominance, um, strength, vulnerability intersections of um, wealth, economy, um, society, and innocence. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then the third part is queen. Um, Because it's really funny because a lot of the performers that I have in the show are very diverse. So we've got, you know, burlesque performers, contemporary dancers. um, uh, Kathleen Gonzalez does Afro-Colombian dance. um, yeah, so there's lots of different styles of performance in the show and pretty much every performer in one way, one way or another has kind of come to me and been like, what do you mean by queen? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, they, they kind of start doing something and go, I don't know if this fits with queen. What do you mean by queen? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would say to them is it's, it's, again, it's not about limiting the definitions of anything. So it's, to me, queen is about whatever it is that makes you feel the most powerful. Sometimes for me, that's leaving my house in a bathrobe and my slippers to go and get a coffee. I'm like, I am the queen of this bathrobe. This mm-hmm. is amazing. I'm the best. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, those, it's looking for those day-to-day things that, that make you feel you're, you're most powerful and centered and then bringing those to the stage and expanding them and sharing them with others. Does that answer the question? Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, you raise a really good point. I think that's the good thing about, you know, queer and the way that we um, use language. Mm. You know, it can really be changed and adjusted. Um, and I think that's the power of, you know, what queer's actually done is to actually shake that stuff up, you know. Yeah. Mm. Pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us more about um, your creative process. Like that sounded really interesting. And Yeah. yeah so the creative process for this show um, has been really interesting because – 
It started with um, with one piece of music that I intercut with a some dialogue from a film. Um, and in my head, I was like, I know who I want to have perform this. There's something about them that really resonates with this piece. Um, and then kind of looking at, you know, the mood that that piece has and, you know, wanting to, to, to create something that takes audiences on a journey so that, you know, I don't want anybody to leave the theater, you know, sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's sobbing from joy and just being like, well, this is really touching and amazing. I love it. That's fine. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I want to – this the show is – it's – um. It's dealing with a, a lot of things around trauma and loss and identity, but at the core of it is the, the value of healing and the focus on connection and moving forward and being able to, to move forward in a delicate way. So um, the show is not to shock. It's not to uh, differentiate between people. It's to invite. So mm. when in creating the show, I really had that as the, as the undertone for all of the pieces when I talked with the artist and when I looked at how things would flow together, it's about um, a dialogue, a conversation and an invitation um, for, for audience members. So that was, that was definitely at the, at the forefront of my planning for the show was keeping the audience in mind in terms of sharing them, sharing something really special with them. Cause you're basically all a part of my family now. Um, I won't send you my medical bills. That's fine. <laughs> we don't, we're not that close. We won't get you hexed No, no, that's fine. But <laughs> You know, in a, in a in a more worldly sense, we're all we're all in a family. Um, so that was one part of the the process. The other side of it was about ninety to ninety five percent of the music in the show uh, I chose. Um, and also, what I did was I went back through um, old poems that I'd written, old short stories that I'd written, and uh, recorded bits of that and intercut it with the the music. So there is a really clear. And in the sense of, you know, in that dream state where things are kind of clear and make sense, but only if you allow yourself to think laterally. Um, there is a really clear through line in the sto- in the show. Um, there's a story that's being told. Um, yeah, and I at one point I said to someone, I was like, oh, if anybody actually really pays attention to this show, they're going to really know a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, yeah, because there's a lot of stuff in there around, um, around some of my... Uh, you know, around some of the things that I struggle with, but I think a lot of people struggle with in mm-hmm. terms of uh, how to connect with other people, how to um, how to explore who you are and and how you fit it. I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's really interesting. So I've been thinking about that a little bit myself. You know, um, about that kind of vulnerability, about sharing mm-hmm. and how scary that is. But actually, in doing that, you actually open up space for other people to yeah. be able to do the same thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think that's the yeah, I think that's the the biggest thing for me is um uh, oh, that's another thing that's really interesting. Uh in this show, um pretty much all of the performers like we've got Frankie Valentine, Mojo Juju, uh Karen from Finance, Henny Helsden, Kathleen Gonzalez as I said, uh Rolly, Zelia Rose, and uh Mama Alto. Quite a lineup. Yeah, I'm very lucky to I've got mm. some very talented people in my life who are also really beautiful people like from the inside out just it's amazing um but one of the things that another one of the things that came up was that everyone in one way or another is pushing their comfort levels a little bit in this show Mm -hmm. they're doing something a little bit outside of what they would normally do or or they you know they've come to me and they said oh I really want to try this for Mm. this um this act and I'm like that's amazing um or there have been some people that I'm like I really want you to try this and they're like oh I don't know and I'm like I think you can do it (laughs) so it's been a it's been a really great uh, opportunity to open up not just sharing my mm. story but giving 
the whole cast, the whole community that's made this show an opportunity to to share something of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think it's interesting how that then can translate onto audiences. Definitely, I'm. Uh, I really, I would love if anybody is listening out there, um, if you come across any posters for Autobio Queen at all, um, take a photo with it. Um, you know, send it to me on Instagram. Uh, you know, tag and tag all the names are on the poster so you'll be able to tag me (laughs) benny lola or natasha janelle um yeah take a photo and and tell me a little bit about yourself um you know and and if you don't see a poster if you just feel like you are a queen just random just just yeah tag yourself in a post (laughs) and tag yourself in a photo and send it to me on instagram um yeah because i really the main thing about this show the main thing about all the work that i do is about connecting with people um so if you have something you want to share a story a part of your life a you know, a flower that you saw that was really beautiful, go on, send it to me. I'm, I'm very happy. Um, and we might draw a couple of uh, draw a couple of free tickets Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. for people if they send through some snaps on Instagram. Excellent. You heard it here, folks. Mm, yeah, yeah, this is an exclusive. Excellent. Smart darling. Smart Cool. Well. Yeah. And um, so I was really interested. So you talked about, you know, being obviously this is about you and that this, you know, very personal kind of autobiographical mm. work, but you chose to bring other people into that rather than doing the one person show, which yeah. I think a lot of performers get to a point they're like, I want to do this one person show. But yeah. you deliberately steered away from that. I was really interested about that decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, because I, oh, sorry, I just have to make an adjustment quickly. Um, one, have to make one more. Okay. Um, yeah, I did stare away from doing a one-person show uh, because uh, it's really hard to put all this stuff into words. Not yeah. in a way that I'm stuck, but just in in that I feel so much about it, yeah. and um, I don't want to I don't want to overload audiences sure. or over overload listeners. Yeah. Um, but I'm just my heart is really open and I've that's why I've chosen to not do a one woman show mm. is because my whole life has been about um trying to find ways to connect with people mm. um it's something that I've struggled with a lot and it's something I'm still struggling with mm. um and the the way that I've been able to to do that is through working with other people is through collaborating with people mm. um is it's through it's through being able to share and like there's nothing better than doing a show with, with other people and seeing something in them, in their eyes or in their in their mannerisms that just takes you somewhere else. Um, and I just, I feel like um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to have a new world, make a new world where we can all just, regardless of race, gender, uh, age, ability, uh, status, any of that stuff where we can just be humans together in a, a small room for a short period of time. Mm. Um, and I, I just felt like the best way to do that was to invite other humans <laughs> from the beginning of the process, mm. not just at the end when it's time to show it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. It, you know, kind of artistically, you've actually um, taken these ideas that you have about what you want to do, but kind of throughout the whole creative process, you know, from the concept to the actual process, you've done, it's like, do you know what I mean? That's kind mm. of the fruition of the show is actually all of that, if that yeah. makes sense. I'm not yeah. sure how well I'm articulating that. That's, but. What, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's hard to articulate, yeah. but it's, it's, it's that thing of, yeah, at the end of the day, I want this to be a show that's inviting and welcoming and helps people feel a sense of community and feel that their identities, whatever they are for them, are valid and uh, allowed. Mm. Um, so I started the show like that. 
So I started the show by, you know, approaching a lot of different kinds of people. For example, I've got Henny Helston in the show. Um, she's only available. She's only in town Tuesday and Wednesday. So um, would love to have her in for the whole run, but she's off on tour somewhere else. So she's just dropping in quickly <laughs> like you do. Um, but for example, she's Henny's playing me in the show mm -hmm. and then I'm understudying Henny oh. <laughs> for the nights that she's not there. So it's quite, it's quite an interesting, interesting uh, process, but it's, yeah. but mm. in doing that, it's because, you know, people might on the surface look at me and look at Henny and go, well, there's nothing in the common, common yeah. with you guys. You don't look anything alike. You surely you've had very different lives. You're, there's no connection at all, but it's like, actually there is. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it goes beyond all of those constructs that are, you know, that are, relevant or well not relevant but are mm. what's the word when something's in life i'll leave that up to the audience <laughs> to decide what that word is it's something anyway but yeah there's constructs that are there um i mean really trying to fight i guess a shared humanity in a sense that's it yeah that was good so let's we can just rewind so then when you, you first asked me about the show i'll just say you know i'll just say it's uh, based on a, a concept of shared humanity that was good you that was take succinct. That. i'll take it i'm taking it to the bank I don't know how much I'll get for it, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, great. So um, so what can people expect? I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about what they can expect, obviously, mm. but, you know, like you've got a lot of different performers. Um, uh, one thing they can ex expect is that we will start on time. Excellent. Okay? So, guys, it starts at 8.30. Be there, <laughs> okay, you know, ready to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no turning up late. No turning up late. Mm -mm. Cut to no. the quick I am. Yeah. You mean it's not running on queer time, maybe? No, no, <laughs> no. Or activist time? No, or no, no, none of that. Mm -mm. <laughs> We are at a box office, you know, we've got to be professional. So we're starting on time. Um, but uh, but one thing that people can expect is to be moved, yeah. honestly. Like I keep, oh, I'm, oh, it's getting really close to the opening night. And each interview I do, I'm getting closer and closer to just going, it's just really good. <laughs> actually really, I'm so proud of everybody who's, uh, helped with every step of the way from, you know, um, people helping with costumes, like one performer helping another performer. Like everyone's mm. just been amazing. The Butterfly Club's been amazing. Mm. Um, oh, I'm just really, really touched that this is happening. Um, yeah, I started this project when I was 18 with, as a biographical film. Wow. Yeah, and then I stepped away from it for... I don't want to say how many years because then you'll know how old I am, but I, a number of years. And, um, and in that time, in those, in that space, I was very lost and, you know, had a lot of difficulties. Stuff. Say. Yeah. A lot of stuff. <laughs> um, and it took me a really long time to, to sort that stuff out. And there were some, some moments that were very, very dark. Um, but I'm here and I've made it and I, I'm here because I've had beautiful people in my life. So I'm excited, firstly, to share the stage with those people and secondly, to share it with the community. And I'm mm. getting all emotional now. So I'm going <laughs> to stop so I can play it cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds super exciting and powerful and I'm really excited about seeing the show. Mm. So tell us the details about the show, oh, the yes, actual yes, time. Yes, the details, yes. So it opens on Tuesday. So it's on July 26th to the 31st at the Butterfly Club. Unfortunately, the Butterfly Club is not wheelchair accessible at this time. Uh, so we will be putting it on again at a later date in Great. a wheelchair accessible venue. But well, for now... you have to keep us updated. I definitely will. Mm. But, but for now... This is uh, where it will be held. Um, you can get tickets online at thebutterflyclub.com. Um, as Sasha said, uh, um, as someone else said before, um, there was a, uh, I am very much interested in 
making sure that things are accessible. Um, so while we, we don't have much space for comps, um, we do have a promo code, which is Art Matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so A-R-T Matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S with no space. Um, and if you use that one, if you're going in a group, if it's a group of six or more, then it brings the tickets down to $20 per person. Great. Yeah. Cool, and cool. don't forget those selfies, peeps. Yeah, yes, send yes. in those selfies. Yeah, send in some selfies the, to Benny Lola um, or Natasha Janelle on Instagram. Um, you can contact the 3CR page for my tags yep. if you need them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and you might be able to win a couple tickets. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for no coming way. in and sharing Thank all that you. with us. No problem. I already feel like I've been to part of the show. Oh, well, I hope not <laughs> oh. too much. No, 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 no. Of course can't. not. But you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling so excited about the show. Okay, like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get cool. along, listeners. Yeah. Cool. Well, we might cut to a track now. Yeah. Maybe try that other one. That, uh, yeah, so we're yeah. going to go to Tell William by Shago. Um, yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hand. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. We're talking about ecological thinning and subsidised longing, but we basically mean the same things, don't we, here? Wherever there are chemical corporations around the world, they're constantly trying to chip away at regulations. Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories, from developments in government and industry to the campaigns and communities that are standing up to them. Earth Matters plays at 11am Sunday and 6.30am Wednesday. Turn your dial to 855am or listen online at 3cr.org.au. While the headlines have subsided, the nuclear power plant is still not under control, with the spent fuel rods removed from only one out of four reactors. Law needs to change so that uh, our rights can be recognised, so that decisions in relation to the use and exploitation of our lands is out. Radiothon is over, but it's not too late to support 3CR and your beloved queer show, Queering the Air. Come down to our fundraiser at Hares and Hyenas on the 30th of July. Doors open at 7.30pm. Check out the Queering the Air Facebook page to find the event and buy tickets. The night will be Auslan interpreted and will feature live music and poetry by local artists. Who's playing? ASL. Mina. Astrid. And Slumber Kitty. Don't forget the poets. Amy Witchway. Dawn. Yao. Zanya. Brave the winter cold and come down for a dreamy night with the Queering the Air crew.
Hello listeners, welcome back. You're here on 3CR 855 AM. You're listening to Queering the Air. Um, and if you uh, were listening, you would have heard we just did an interview with Natasha Janelle, um, who's doing a show at the Butterfly Club next week. It's called Auto Bio Queen, and it sounds amazing. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, so yeah. if you missed that, I would definitely go back and podcast it and um, go search her online. Um, she's in lots of places, so I'm sure you won't miss her. But uh, it's Natasha Janelle, J-Y-N-E-L, and the show is called Auto Bio Queen. And, um, yeah, Butterfly Club next week starting Tuesday. I think it runs through till Saturday or Sunday. I'm not sure if that's what – but it will all be on the Butterfly Club website or you can just um, uh, Google her name. Yes. So exciting. Yeah. So uh, now we're actually going to play an interview that I did um, outside of the studio. Yes. Uh, with Sheridan and Fiona. Uh, so we were talking about feminism and childbirth. Um, so, yeah, maybe we'll just uh, hit play. Today with Sheridan and Fiona. Um, and we're talking about childbirth, about feminist childbirth and pregnancy, I guess more broadly. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to start by asking you guys what you thought of that term, like how does, yeah, I guess we'll start by defining what we think that means. Yeah, because I think I have a, a response to that, which is that I feel very cautious of using the term feminist um, childbirth specifically, because childbirth is kind of pitched as the, you know, really we're talking a lot of times about the natural physiological birth, but actually, um, you know, as a feminist issue, I think we are really wanting to offer choice to people who are birthing. So that could mean like elective cesarean, you know, or birthing in different environments or, or choosing to birth in a hospital setting and things like that. So, mm. yeah. But I guess, I guess um, for me, what comes to mind, but I don't want to claim that I own the term feminist childbirth, but what comes to mind is uh, pushing back against the power of the institution of hospitals and that women women being able to do that. And that could mean making whatever choice that they want to make. But um, I, I, I guess I, my personal feeling would be that if women had more power in their birthing, in birthing processes, um, in, in yeah, if, if women had more power in how, choosing how they wanted to give birth and having you know, control over all elements of that, I think probably there would be less interventions. Mm. I think the institution of the hospital does lead to those. Mm. And so it's kind of, it is kind of murky around that because mm. a lot of, I do know women who have chosen elective Caesars and would say that they make that from a very, you know, informed choice position. Um, yeah, I, but it's quite, I think from a feminist perspective, you would need to say, let's look at the institution of the hospital and the way that, that patriarchy operates through the hospital um, and mm. through capitalist relations in a hospital, um, and without without those things, we'd be in a very different scenario. Mm. And I think yeah. that's it. You know, like locating patriarchy within birth mm. is kind of the issue, isn't it? Like mm. that's what we're doing when we're kind of talking about feminist birth or like feminism and birth. And I think for some women that locating patriarchy, you know, through birth is about like how they relate to their body as mm. well and where that came from. So like locating that power in relation to women's bodies could be some, you know, could be, you know, could bring up things about sexual assault or, you know, childhood sexual abuse or 
um, you know, the, the ways they've been sexually objectified or feel that their bodies are commodified. So they feel like their bodies are separate to them. They don't have full agency. So locating that, the power and locating the patriarchy in relation to birth, I think, kind of brings up that issue of, well, then to resist that. Like in some, in some ways, I think that birth offers an opportunity to resist and, you know, resisting for each, each person will look really, really different. So it could mean that, you know, choosing that elective C-section is actually a form of resistance through, through the birth process or, um, you, you know, or choosing to birth, yeah, outside the hospital or choosing to birth inside the hospital, like depending where the patriot, you know, where that power is located, I think. But yeah, the, the institution of the hospital is kind of that really almost like that, um, it's almost like iconic, isn't it? Like it's kind of the symbol of patriarchy because it is that hierarchical sort of system there that kind of, um, you know, controls controls women's bodies through the pro birth process. So, Sharon, you're a doula. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a bit about, like, what a doula is and what you do? And yeah. yeah. So the word doula is Greek meaning servant. Uh, I think it literally is supposed to mean servant to women or a woman's servant um and so it's about serving through yeah serving at birth i suppose and um it is about be like providing support to the birthing person so if we think about like a nurse or a midwife or um, an obstetrician as the person who um, holds medical knowledge and you know offers that up throughout the birthing process and then the doula it offers up like the emotional support and um you know emotional support and techniques for moving through the birthing process and i have come to that work a little bit differently to a lot of other doulas i've met because i've worked in community sector where i work with people who are kind of more in the margins and have worked in family violence and a women's refuge and so and you know worked on uh, crisis lines and things like that where I've predominantly worked with women for like the past like eight years I think and um, hearing like hearing stories about birth where there was yeah there was you know no uh, no agency given to the birthing woman like and and just understanding that I had that that ability to unpack power dynamics and then kind of feeling like also feeling like to create sustainable communities in the future we kind of need to look at having good birthing practices so I came to that work because I felt like I had something to offer and also I felt like doing that work which was a contribution as well. And Fiona you're a mother? Yeah so I have two kids uh, I have a six-year-old and when I had him um, I ended up having an emergency cesarean and I was really disappointed with that having happened to me and to us and particularly um, just had a really bad time with his first couple of months of life because I got a, an infection in my Caesar scar and I couldn't drive and I couldn't lift him and I just felt it was really hard um, parenting him for that first few months and I just felt felt like I'd missed out on not having pushed him out I wanted to wanted to experience that mm. um, and so I was pretty determined to do that and Sheridan's a friend and had was a doula, had become a doula and so I um, what did I I employed her I well, you said it. Yeah. <laughs> she she became my doula and um, and she helped me push back through against 
um, a lot of pressure, even though the hospitals and doctors are meant to be, like technically they're really keen on what's called VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean. So that's in all of the protocol for doctors, it's meant to be a safer option for the mother and the child. Um, but what you classically get from doctors and from, from obstetricians in hospitals is um, that's great that you want to have a VBAC, but <laughs> maybe you should consider having another cesarean. Um, and so I pushed back against that and I managed to have a vaginal birth with my um, second child who was born last year and that was a really good experience. And um, so, I mean, that kind of institutional kind of pressure that you talk about and the kind of patriarchy and, um, like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of interested more in that kind of that question of power and who has the power and, mm. yeah. Mm. And what does that, maybe what does that look like in practice and how do you... Like, I don't know, what advice maybe would you give to other people who are in similar situations who are, you know, kind of feeling powerless and, like, they have this institution on their back about you should do this or you should do that? Or mm. I think it's just so... I mean, so what I, what I kind of notice is that um, how... Like, right from the word go, like, I feel like there's all this sort of gendering um, that undermines that undermines birthing people. But also, the like, birthing people but also the partners of... But so like the the kind of it's pitched as this nuclear family dynamic with this gendering that goes on. So all of the marketing that happens um, and you can go into like if you go into a hospital like or if you even if you go into independent birth centre like and you pick up their literature and you look at the ways that these you know, this group of people is spoken to like they're really undermined by the level of like gender performance and gender stereotyping you know that's expected from them and even to the like I look at some of the um, websites and uh, and some of the government literature you know that's written like some of the from some of the services is all like you literally see things that are in soft pink with like these perfect baby images and you know I mean it's kind of setting people up to fail right from the word go and it kind of excludes a whole lot of people and it really does undermine because birth isn't like that like it's not you know people just I think are not told the truth think there is something that's being spoken to that you know you will have this passive experience and it's really kind of right from the word go this is the way I see it anyway is I think your your power is really diminished right from the word go the way that mothering I think is sold to us but even fathering mm. like even parenting in itself like the the construct of parenting is really this kind of based on this nuclear family that is you know very harmonious and and it's just you know it's not like that you mm. know for for most people it's just not like that it kind of gets you on board and you kind of go with this system this sort of yeah like you're not you know, like in a lot of ways, you know, you talk to women who have had great birth experiences and they'll say like they felt powerful. They felt like, you know, a warrior or, you know, like they feel this, this incredible surge of like confidence and this sense of like achievement and something that they've done where, you know, that will stand out in their whole lives, you know, but it's not passive, you know, like it's, it's like fierce and you know, for many, many women, it's really, you know, pain, a type of pain that will never, you know, that is unlike anything else they'll experience and that they, they have to overcome a lot and that they have to push to the edge and bodies break and tear and, you know, like, and will never be the same again. Like it's, you know, but this, you know, they're, they're set up, I think people are set up to sort of see it as something 
that is really quite passive and that gets them on the journey and it kind of gets them into kind of that system mm-hmm. uh, of, of powerlessness. And I, I think alongside the, 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 the passive is the risk and that you're mm-hmm. from quite early on in your interactions with the hospital, there's um, a lot of highlighting of the risks associated with with different options and that you um soon as you're an older um person that's going to going to have have a baby that you are higher risk that if you have all sorts of if you're overweight if you're this if you're that 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 there's lots of um talk about risk and and you can feel the hospital and people within the hospital being fearful of what can go wrong and so it sets the whole enterprise of of um, giving birth up as a risky activity when actually it's something that people have done forever literally Mm. (laughs) for as long as there have been people um women have been giving birth and um yeah it can be risky business and I mean I did choose to have both my kids in hospital because I did I'm, I'm not averse to western medicine I do did want something to back me up but I also wanted to um I believed that my body could push out a baby and that it didn't have to, you know, every, I didn't have to be fearful of that. Mm. Um, uh, when, when we went into the hospital, I went in way too early and that would be my main advice that I've given to heaps of people having babies is um, stay home as long as you possibly can because as soon as you're in the hospital, you're on the clock and once you've been there for like 24 hours, pretty much they will start to really push interventions. I'm not sure exactly what the number of hours is, but I was there for a really long time and so then it was what's called a cascade of interventions and it, it I literally went through them. Um, so, in fact, I hadn't even been there that long and they started saying, well, we thought we might do this. And then once they'd done one thing, so they did what's called a sweep where they try and, anyway, they try and get get things going. And then after that, I had to be monitored and I had to be this and I had ruled out a whole lot of options without realising it. Um, and just the environment of being in the hospital room where it's really bright and people kept coming in. So I think I ended up having... Um, about seven or eight vaginal exams with maybe 10 different people. At one, at one point there were like um, student doctors and student midwives and obstetrician and la 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 all having a look trying to figure out which way my baby was facing, all their full lights on. My partner at the time was watching the football with the midwife. I freaking hate the football. Um, I've always hated the football. I didn't want the football on. I just had no power over the environment of that room. It was super noisy. There were just people everywhere looking up my hoo-ha and it was a really bad experience. Um, and it just went from there, from like went through that night. It was this Friday night and it just went through the night with one thing after another. And finally at 8 a.m., the obstetrician came on they came on shift, the new batch, and they were ready to go. They wanted to do something. So they came in and, and literally said, you know, um, we've had some test that says there's some minor distress in your baby. Um, they didn't say minor at that point. There's some distress. And I was delirious by this point. I'd had two nights with no sleep. Mm. Um, and I was in a weak place, I'm going to say. Um, mm. And so I was when I heard that there was some risk to my baby, I was just like, where do I sign? Mm. Yeah. So, and they wheeled me away and, you know, they literally, they wanted to get going with, you know, so it was very much about their schedule and how long I'd been there, not, not about how my birth, my, you know, the baby coming into the world was progressing. Like the obstetrician would come in, it happened a number of times and be like dismissive that the midwife couldn't figure out which way the baby was facing. Mm. And so they'd be kind of like, oh, come on, let me in there. You know, this kind of attitude and women obstetricians as well. It was both. Um, And then... 
they couldn't figure out which way the baby was facing either. But, you know, like the hierarchy within the hospital was playing out in mm. the way that they were annoyed mm. with each other and getting in there. Mm. Yeah, I was really othered by that. You know, like mm. it was as though I wasn't there. Yeah, you're it was them dealing with the baby, trying to get the baby out. Mm. And that's the commodification kind of process. It's mm. kind of like we're here to you know, obtain this, this baby, but mm. you know, like, and that's where, and that's where the role of a, somebody like a doula who could mm. be <clears throat> like more impartial or more like, cause I would say I'm an advocate, you know, and that's the kind of work I've done for most mm. of my working life. I'm an advocate. So just being able to say, well, what will it take for mm. you to feel mm. comfortable? What, what's going to take mm. right now? And just hear the person mm. who's birthing and say, you know, what, you know, like, and here, like, okay, you don't like the lights being all on so bright. Could we do something about that? Mm. Um, you don't, you hate the football and like, it's like really distracting to you right now. Mm. But like, it's like saying to somebody who's about to run a marathon, you know, like, you know, like, don't, like you can't, you can't do anything. You can't, you can't attempt to do any like major physical exertion unless you're in the right environment and you have everything you need to do it you mm. know like you, you can't attempt anything like that unless you have the right environment so simple mm. that could have mm. been offered mm. that, that could mean, have been done first I think the other interesting thing that that doulas offer is that we tend to assume there's sort of this romantic vision that your partner should be there mm. um, and that they should be the person supporting you through a birth. And for my second child, I didn't have a partner. I was having her on my own. So that was never going to be the reality. Um, but also in the first case, it wasn't the right person to be there. He was stressed out of his brain. That's why the footy was on. He's not a total asshole. Like, you know, it was because he was stressing as well mm. because most people often, often the partner is stressing too. Mm. And mm. so that's just feeding in. And so they're not in a place to actually help you. He's, he, he wanted me to give, give in because to, to the interventions because he was fearful as well. Mm. And so it's actually better to have somebody who's calm mm. through that instead of somebody that's that's freaking out mm. as well and yeah. I think you know that like especially like cis men show up at births and they're mm. you know they're so disempowered in that space as well mm. like men have only been invited back into hosp back into the birth rooms mm. since the late 90s I think it is you know like they mm. were excluded from that for so long and now they there is this kind of expectation and this is where I think like right from the beginning where you kind of, you know, you pick up a pamphlet from the hospital or from like your GP or whatever and there's these pictures on there of this like little nuclear family and you see this, you know, the loving husband person or whatever, you know, and it's kind of like, well, how the hell does he know how to be there for you? Because there's no history you know, there's no history for him to sort of fall back on. Like his father probably wasn't at the birth, you know. He wasn't invited into birth, the birthing suites. Mm. You know, they mm. they were told they had to wait outside. And now we just mm. kind of expect these these people to kind of show up and be our support people. And that idea is sold to us. Mm. And that's just not a reality. Mm. That's not a reality. Then I think what happens is for like a lot of men a lot of cis men they kind of show up and then they go into you know then they will be the they will then embody patriarchy they will go into being like well i now have to be i'm supposed to be the person who saves you or, or gets you, know, you what you need gets you what's you need yeah. what you need and also yeah. like i'm not allowed to actually have an emotion as well that's mm. the other thing that happens mm. so they'll go to what they know well you know because they're really kind of powerless so, I mean, what do you think the experience is? Experience different for queer um, people 
who are, you know, going into hospitals or, you know, whatever, giving birth. Um, yeah, and, yeah. You know. Well, I think that other bodies are very much othered and that also, you know, in this also, I mean, the, um, you know, the partners of people who are birthing, I mean, I suppose I've spoken to more lesbian kind of like lesbian partnerships and that that was that's really difficult that their relationships um you know are not seen as valid and also actually relationships where there's multiple partners and not seen as valid as well and kind of like you know having to go step into a space like if you're in the hospital setting then there is kind of yeah there's already this sense of like having to step out into that institution you know like you are stepping into the that patriarchal kind of space and um and it does and it's not to say that there's not of course like any system there's going to be individuals working in the system that are you know that are you know that are over this kind of stuff and that mm -hmm. kind of analysis and that bring mm -hmm. good care um and so individuals working within that system you know will will still provide good care but that the system itself of course is what's the problem and that so a lot of times people who are queer or in other ways you know marginalized or um you know who are othered and just not they're not represented in that system and just going into that system will kind of feel violent in a lot of ways but just their experience i know I've, yeah so i've predominantly spoken to lesbian couples who have had their and also couples where there's multiple partners as well like different kinds of family dynamics other than the nuclear family and that has been really um stressful so for somebody to you know if they're choosing a natural physiological birth then they're you know they're wanting the support of all partners or all you know or you know or whoever they choose to be there and that sometimes the you know the partnering arrangement is just not seen as valid or or you know important and that's really distressing um as well so i think um even i mean even i suppose other bodies i mean i've had there's been like comments about other kinds of bodies as well and yeah a lot of kind of lesbians i suppose who have um who have more like the but a butch identifying lesbian you know that kind of thing mm. it's can be really you know they i mean they fear judgment and it's you know, it's a valid fear and they experience not being seen as um, the ideal mother, I suppose. So, you know, they don't get to kind of fit into that mothering kind of persona sometimes. So they experience that as well. And, you know, in all systems, I think, you know, there is that. But that this is one where it's kind of you need to feel like you're safe. Like that's been proven, there's research about this, that the things that will make any mammal feel safe enough to birth, if you're choosing to birth, um, you know, through like vaginally, then you're, you need to feel safe and you need to feel um, like you're, like it's private, like it's a private space. And those are the things that have been proven that will, you know, they correlate really highly with um, shorter labors and less intervention and those sorts of things. So you need to feel safe and you need to feel private. And, you know, if you walk into a system that you already feel violated by, then, you know, you're not going to have the best chance at, at being able to achieve that, you know, if that's what you're looking for. So, yeah. And I mean, yeah, there is, there are good people who do amazing work in that system, but I think that the system itself has to be critiqued. Hello listeners. So, Welcome back.
Uh, um, you were just listening about. to an interview with Sheridan and Fiona about uh, feminism and childbirth. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to thank the both of them for um, making themselves available um, to me to do that interview. Um, yeah, it was a great interview. Really informative, I thought. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Sheridan and Fiona, for talking to Amy. <laughs> um, and so we're going to play um, all of the details for our fundraiser one more time, just in case you just tuned in now. Um, we've got a couple more community service announcements. And then that's pretty much it for the yeah, show. We're in tight today. Yeah, we mm. did. Um, we might go out on a track. You might not get a chance to hear all of it, but we're going to play the beginning of a track. Just get a taster. Um, just a taster of mm. um, a track called Impatient by Anushka off their album Broken Circuit. So mm. first we'll do some... But um, uh, thank you for being with us today. Yes, thank you um, very on much. This Sunday, I have no idea what it's like outside, but... Um, yeah, Sunday. Yes. So you've been listening to Queering the Air on 3CR 855 AM. And we'll see you same time next week, 3 to 4 PM. Yes. Thank you, listeners. Bye-bye. Radiothon is over, but it's not too late to support 3CR and your beloved queer show, Queering the Air. Come down to our fundraiser at Hares and Hyenas on the 30th of July. Doors open at 7.30pm. Check out the Queering the Air Facebook page to find the event and buy tickets. The night will be Auslan interpreted and will feature live music and poetry by local artists. Who's playing? ASL. Mina. Astrid. And Slumber Kitty. Don't forget the poets. Amy Witchway. Dawn. Yao. Zanya. Brave the winter cold and come down for a dreamy night with the Queering the Air crew. Okay, yeah, I've just come back. <laughs> we just want to do a very personal invite um, to the party. Please come. We'd really look forward to seeing you. We always love to meet our listeners in person. Um, and I think it's going to be a really great, fun, queer community night. Um, you've heard the different performers that are going to be there, ASL, Nina, Astrid, and um, Spoken Word Poetry, Dawn, JL, and Zena. Um, yeah, so it should be a really good night, 7 p.m. You can get tickets online at eventbrite.com.au and you can just go and Google us. Um, yeah, so it's Hairs and Hyenas next Saturday, 30th of July. The, so Hairs and Hyenas at 63 Johnston Street, Fitzroy. Um, so please come along and, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be, be fun. Yeah, yes. okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> I've learned it's all about waiting. But patience was never my forte Too much time to consider life And how it hasn't quite Lived up to the light of that star I was wishing on One more day Is what I keep telling them, telling them But I'm tired of telling them That I'll leave it all behind I got lost in this promise Never my forte, too much time to consider life.